Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Join us for a journey as we go back to the great civilizations of the past. Who were the people? What were they like? How did they begin? And how did they end? Let's find out on this episode of Fan of History. Hello, Dan. Hello, Bernie. We are in 609 BC in the Middle East. We are. And uh, Nabopolassar, the king of Babylonia, is trying to become the ruler of the world. And the Assyrians are still kind of around, ruled by some guy called Ashur Ubalit II. We don't really know who he is. Mm-hmm. And these things are quite complicated. So I asked you for help during the research. So. Correct me if I'm wrong. And I didn't do it. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> I'll do my best. Don't tell the listeners oh, that. It's Dan said, give me some help. And I said, like, okay. <laughs> it's confusing, though. But this is ancient history, man. The scholars, like I always say, they come after, they fight each other with scissors over this information. So, but We have the Babylonians besieging uh, Haran. And Ashur Ubalit II might be in Haran at this time or not. And this is this started in uh, 610. Okay. And it's going on into 609 BC. I think they sieged it a couple of times, right? Yes. And okay, I correct myself. I think Ashurubalit II is not in Haran during the siege. But the Babylonians eventually take Haran. The Egyptians are nowhere to be seen. But after the Babylonians have ruled Haran for three months, ah. Ashurubalit shows up again with Egyptian backup. Mm. And try to retake the city. But this goes horribly wrong. The Babylonians defeat the Assyrian army. They take Haran now for at least some time. Okay. And this is the point where Ashur Ubalit II disappears from history. But the Assyrians do not. This is the last named king of the Assyrians. But we will try to argue that the Assyrian state in some shape or form will exist for another 10 years. That is even into the next decade of our narrative. Hmm. 
You know, it's funny. They never had like a weird thing like the Trojans. You know, they became the Romans. Nobody ever claimed the Assyrians. Well, the Assyrian people is still around today, but the the, the neo-Assyrian state. Oh, true, true, true. Will will try to survive, and of course, they can make this attempt even after all these crushing defeats and the loss of Asher and the loss of Nineveh, because they have the backup of Necho II, the pharaoh of Egypt. And now Necho seems very intent on stopping the Babylonians from taking over the entire Assyrian Empire, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah, because they, be, they want their area probably, too. I mean, they, you know, their traditional buffer zone there in Palestine and in the Levant. And here is where I get confused. Okay. Because Necho is very interested in the Levant. He's interested in the Mediterranean coast. And he runs into problems with Josiah of Judah. Yeah. But I'm not sure when this happens in relation to the battles between Necho and the Babylonians. Yeah, I'm kind of there too, and a lot of people are. And that's, that's a, that's a, the Bible's confusing about that. As far as, well, I believe what happens is Haran is already def- lost to the... Um, so the Egyptians may have helped. They may have had some garrisons there. They're fighting in Haran, right? But then Haran is lost, and now the next uh, battle will take place at Carchemish. That's when Necho comes up with his whole army. So Carchemish is a little bit west of Haran. So the Babylonians finally beat the Assyrians out of Haran, and then they um, there's probably not too many Assyrians left of the army, you know. So they need a full Egyptian army to fight. So an Egyptian army decides to come up from Egypt with Necho to um, fight at Carchemish, and that's where Josiah runs into him. Yeah. So so they. So the remaining Assyrian state is centered on Carchemish. Yeah, Carchemish. And, and we talked about Carchemish in all the history of Fano history. It was uh, a Neo-Hittite state in 1000 BC, and it has been mentioned a lot of times in this story. But now it's the capital of Assyria, and Necho needs to go there to save the, the Assyrians. That's right. And then this is... And so this is where it's... The, the basic story is that... Necho and the army came up to, you know, go to Carchemish, and Josiah decided to not let him. And they, he set up, he, he wanted to intercept him, Megiddo, which is, that's where the word Armageddon comes from, because it's a very narrow pass, and very easily defendable. So then they see the battle of Armageddon, Megiddo, that's where that comes from. But why is Josiah doing this? That nobody knows. That's the thing. It doesn't make any sense. It could be just because most of the kings of Judah make the absolute worst diplomatic decisions ever. And anyone who could see, like, why would you do that? Everyone except, no, all of them, pretty much. Except Manassas, the one they hated the most. He was the best. <laughs> so, Because now Josiah is pretty much free. He will probably get conquered by the Babylonians. Mm-hmm. But he sort of makes his own decision to stop the Egyptians. Maybe to getting favor with Nabopolassar? It could be that. There's so there could be. I I, I was luckily to find um, an, an article by um, Eric Klein, who's a good historian. He's mostly a historian on the Bronze Age collapse. He's got some books on that, but so he's very knows this area. So, and I I actually um, when I did the episode on Josiah, I read all the Bible episode Bible verses and stuff. So they're they're confusing. So the things that could have happened are he could have. So the the way the story goes is that Josiah had a pretty good sized force, and he was in his chariot, and he was riding around. You know, getting this, this, getting the battle ready, and that then the Egyptian, some Egyptian archer got shot him, and then he either died there or he came uh, back to Jerusalem and he died there, and then so so sad Josiah died because they loved him. 
But it's also thought that possibly that Neko summoned him there and either had him executed or murdered him. That's another theory. Because after that, the, the Judeans had put Jehoahaz, he was the son of Josiah, on the throne. And that's when Necho and his army proceeded up to link up to, and fight in Carchemish, which we could talk about after. But after that, he, after that, Necho, he summoned Jeho- Jehoahaz to meet him in Syria and removed him from the throne and set up his other son of Josiah, Jeho. <laughs> it's almost the same. He took Jehoahaz off and put Jehoiakim in to rule Judah instead. And then he took Jehoahaz to Egypt where he died. So it's a really, it's hard to understand because the, the Bible even has different, the Chronicles has one and Kings has a story a little different. So why it happened, nobody really knows. Why did Josiah want to stop Necho is really unknown. Like you said, maybe the Babylonian spy network had him do it. Something along those lines, but I don't know. But Neko, Neko takes Jehoahaz to Egypt and he's never heard of again. Never heard of again. That's very Assyrian. It is very Assyrian-like. He learned his lesson from them. We, we do know, I remember re- reading and watching and I do some studying on something, and there were definitely Greeks in fighting in the Battle of Carchemish because Neko had Greek mercenaries. He's also running rampant on the Mediterranean coast, right, Neko? Mm-hmm. So he's uh, conquering Phoenicia. Yeah, I think he's taking it back from Judah because Judah, you know, for Judah to, to set up troops in the Megiddo there, that's really like Samaria. Interesting. Yeah, that's Samaria. That's northern. That's the northern kingdom. So I think you know Josiah probably took some territory, being that the 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 vacuum of the you know Assyrian Empire. And but I think Necho's like, oh no, I want that. I think it's kind of something along those lines. We're, we're not. We don't really know unless some new information comes out. The historians will you know debate it and go back and forth on it. We can also note the, the Greek influence on uh, Necho because he is now commanding yeah. a naval power as well yeah. in the Mediterranean because the Greeks are not afraid of the Mediterranean. No, not at all. And he has a lot of Greek mercenaries, we know, and, and the Carians because that was, Guy just has started that way back with his grandfather, Necho I. Okay, so Necho's, Necho goes to Carchemish. Mm-hmm. And now this is like a shield for him to protect all his possessions along the Mediterranean coast. Yeah. So he's still officially trying to help Assyria survive, but it's all about Necho. Yeah, I would say so. And that was not from love of the Assyrians or anything like that, just to keep the balance of power, for sure. And he is helped by some sort of trouble in Urartu. Oh. Because uh, Nabopolassar is distracted. And this is probably because of Nabopolassar's pact with the Medes. Okay. Because the Medes are going for Urartu for some reason. Yeah. And Nabopolassar is helping them as little as he can probably, but he's still helping them. So Neko establishes a base in Karkamish. Yeah. And the Egyptians are far from Egypt at this point. The Median attack on Urartu is in 609. Okay. And it's, uh, there is a, a record in Babylonia that the Babylonians attacked Bithanunia in Urartu. Okay. Uh, together with the Medes. But it seems like there are Scythians as well involved with the Median army. Yeah, that would make sense. And this doesn't end well for Urartu. So Urartu becomes a vassal kingdom of the Medes, but they survive. Okay. <laughs> All those years fighting against the Assyrians and the Medes finally do them in. Yeah. 
Yes, but they are still there. They no. They were never quite a vassal state to Assyria, but now they're a vassal state to the Medes. And probably all their fortresses were built to protect them in the direction of Assyria. Now the Medes come from another direction. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. <laughs> that's definitely a good point. So much fighting, too. They must have just been... Wild. But the Medes really come out of all this much less fortunate than Nabopolassar. The Babylonians are still wrapping up parts of Assyria, but they control something which is very similar to the Assyrian Empire, whereas the Medes now control a lot of mountain land in Iran and Urartu. Right, right, exactly. The Babylonians are going to become the Assyrians. They, they already know what they're up to. Yes, and in all the areas where Assyria had problems, there are Medes now. Yeah. So building up for a future problem for Nabopolassar. Yeah. True that. Is there kings? There's still kings in Urartu, right? Yes, but the sources are uh, horrible. Yeah. So we, we might have uh, Rusa the Fourth, okay, ruling in Urartu, and then now being a vassal king to the Medes, to Cyaxarus, okay, uh, the Median king. But that's about all we know. Yeah. But the Urartian capital of Van is still around being uh, ruled by Urartians, but as a vassal kingdom to the Medes. Yeah. They weren't going to put, the Medes aren't going to put in like administrative centers or anything like that. It's probably just, you know, we have to just, we owe you money and we owe you troops when you ask us. And it seems that now, after the conquest of Urartu, Nabopolassar calls for Median help in the campaign against Egypt, Assyria. Okay. And it's not clear if the Medes really help him or not. Okay. So we don't really know that. And that's where, and then the battle, so that's the, the final battle is at Carchemish. We'll get there, but that's in 605. All right. Okay. Uh, in 607, I have important news. You can see Haley's Comet. Ah. Woohoo. <laughs> that must have been freaking them out, though. We also have an interesting person who becomes important in 607. Namely, the Babylonian crown prince, Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar. In, uh, he seems to assume a new command position in the Babylonian army here. And this might be because Nabopolassar is getting old and sickly. But in the year 607, we muster Babylonian armies under both Nabopolassar and Nebuchadnezzar. Okay. Yeah, well... They're definitely bigger. And, and I really think Nabopolassar was a good strategist and he was an, an intelligent agent for the Assyrians. That's why he knew what he was doing. Yes, and either Nabopolassar or Nebuchadnezzar sack Kimuhu, which is near Carchemish, throw out all the Assyrians remaining there okay. and uh, station a Babylonian garrison close to Carchemish. So we are really, the Egyptians are in Carchemish, Babylonian soldiers are in Kimuhu. This is close and we are getting... okay. Into trouble. Yeah, gearing up for another big battle. Yes, and the first battle is the siege of Kimuhu, because Neko goes to Kimuhu to free it, and he besieges Kimuhu for four months, and succeeds. So he takes back Kimuhu from the Babylonians. Probably just a small garrison though, right? Uh, yes, okay. probably not the main army, right. because we know that Nabopolassar, if he loses, he's never there. Right, yeah, that's true. And now the Egyptians cross the Euphrates. Okay, and they defeat the Babylonian army at a place called Karamati. This is to the southeast of Kimuhu. So now Egyptians are in the Assyrian heartland. Yeah. Which is unheard of. 
They, they are so far away from the Nile. Yeah. Wow. And Abu Plaza retreats again. Uh, there are there there is uh, Egyptian military power in all of Syria, and Abu Plaza is driven back. Okay. He's biding his time, though. He knows what he's doing. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Yes, and then we get to the year 605 BC, which is a very important year for the story of the Neo-Babylonian Empire. Nabopolassar okay. decides that he needs to stay in Babylon. Yeah. Which probably means that he is sick. And he gives the entire command of the army to his son, his eldest son, the crown prince, Nebuchadnezzar II. Ah. <laughs> Although he's not the second yet. Ah, gotcha. <laughs> because he's still the crown prince. We have uh, something from the Bible here. So... Uh, Nebuchadnezzar marches the Babylonian army to Carchemish for the final battle. And this is from Jeremiah 42:12. Quote, For the mighty man has stumbled against the mighty. They are fallen, both of them, together. End quote. So there is enormously heavy fighting in Carchemish. There's a lot of dead Babylonians, a lot of dead Egyptians. But in the end, Nebuchadnezzar emerges victorious. Yeah. The battle is won for the Babylonians and they now decide to drive the Assyrians back as far as they can. So there is a pursuit, but it turns into slaughter. Uh, if you ask the Babylonians, because the Babylonians write about this and say, quote, not a single Egyptian returned home, end quote. Except Neko. <laughs> That is what they say. Oh, Neko survives. So that sort of... Yeah, except him. He's the only one. He made himself. <laughs> that that <laughs> sort of tells us that the Babylonians are starting to become more and more like the Assyrians. They must certainly are. But Nebuchadnezzar, in the middle of this hmm. post-fighting, gets terrible news. Nabopolassar has died in Babylon. Oh. And then Nebuchadnezzar seems to really haste back to Babylon and it's possible that he is afraid that one of his brothers will claim the throne of Babylonia 
and this succeeds. He arrives back in uh, Babylon and he assumes the kingship of Babylonia. And after this battle, Egyptian power is broken in close to Assyria at least. So Egyptians are driven back and uh, Nebuchadnezzar now holds the power of the remains of the Assyrian Empire. Even though some Assyrians that claim to be the Neo-Assyrian Empire survived the Battle of Carchemish and tried to keep up the pretense that the Neo-Assyrian Empire is still around. And we'll meet them again right. in the next decade. But I don't think either, I don't think Neko II cares about them. And I don't think yeah. uh, Nebuchadnezzar is very worried about the Syrians now. I doubt it. I mean, he kicked their asses. Yes, he did. It's really unbelievable. The both, I mean, Nebuchadnezzar and, and, and Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar here begins his reign with this enormous triumph, this successful battle and war against the Egyptians. Yeah. I mean, the Egyptians brought it all. They brought everything they had. We have the uh, uh, Babylonian account of this. Oh. So, quote, The king of Akkad, that is Babylonia, stayed home while Nebuchadnezzar, his eldest son and crown prince, mustered the army of Akkad. He took his army's lead and marched to Carchemish, which is on the bank of the Euphrates. He crossed the river at Carchemish. They did battle together. The army of Egypt retreated before him. He inflicted a defeat upon them and finished them off completely. In the district of Hamath, the army of Akkad overtook the remainder of the army of Egypt, which managed to escape from the defeat and which was not overcome. They inflicted a defeat upon them so that the single Egyptian man did not return home. At that time, Nebuchadnezzar conquered all of Hamath. End quote. And the reference to Akkad here is very telling because nobody knows where Akkad is. This is the capital yeah. of the Akkadian Empire, the Emperor of Sargon the Great. Like right. 15, 1600 years in the past at this point. But now Nebuchadnezzar and Nabopolassar before him will claim that they are the true heirs of Sargon the Great. Ah. But on the other hand, it is a major victory for the Babylonians. Oh, for sure. I mean, that's a big... I mean, they beat the Assyrians and the, the Egyptians. And it wasn't just like a small amount of Egyptians. They, the Egyptians brought their army up and their mercenaries. Yeah, they kicked out all the Egyptians and all the Greeks. Yeah, I'm really impressed with the, with the way the Babylonian... This, this particular Babylonian, you know, people fought. From Nabopolassar and Nebuchadnezzar. They really had something going on. We will now see that Nebuchadnezzar will not be this brilliant general for some time, but then he will become a brilliant general again. Oh, good for him. Way to go, Nebuchadnezzar. I hope that Nabopolassar got the news of the victory at Carchemish. Me too. Because he has worked so hard for this. There's been like 20 years of constant warfare. Yeah. And he planned this all the way. And he won. Yeah. Nineveh is a ruin. Assyria will never rise again. The Egyptians are driven out. The only other major power, the Medes, they are still the allies. Yeah, they're still allies for now, as far as I know. So here it seems that the Neo-Babylonian Empire is the true heir of the Assyrian Empire. Yeah, and they just kept their provinces. They kept their, you know, kept their organizational system, I believe. And for the first time in a very long time, Tribute is flowing from Assyria into Babylon. 
Yeah. Instead of the other way around. Yeah. And you know what? For Assyria, like, you know, remember how we talked about the weather and how the, the north, like the north where Assyrian heartland is, they got rain. And um, that's how they got their crops. But then if they didn't have good rain, they got their stuff from Babylon, from Babylon, Babylonia, because um, they were irrigated there. But we, we, there's some evidence of climate change in the north, serious climate change, actually. Actually, for most of the Assyrian Empire, the Neo-Assyrian Empire, there was like a blip of really good weather for like a couple hundred years. And they could tell this from stalactites or stalagmites, one or the other. And so now in the north, the rain wasn't as good. So they, cause, and they also see that they were trying to do more irrigation. So the Assyrians were, yeah, that, that's another reason that they probably just didn't like rebuild the cities because they really weren't in good shape, for, you know, as far as being able to feed them. You're telling me that the weather defeated the Assyrians? No, it didn't. <laughs> And that, that definitely didn't, but it, it definitely didn't, like, in other words, like, the Babylonians weren't like, hey, let's build a city up there. They just left it all go because it really wasn't as good anymore. I see. The Assyrians were pulling the stuff from the south, but now, you, like you say, they're pulling it from the north, and there's nothing up there, so, as far as rain. We have another theory about Nabopolassar's death here. Oh. Because he had to stay in Babylon, and he had neglected Babylon for so long. So while he was staying in Babylon, being sick, he noted how much work had to be done in Babylon. Because oh. he wasn't from Babylon himself. Oh, right. The sea land, right? So it was like, there's so much work that needs to be done. You need to restore all the temples. Remember, the Assyrians had wrecked this place several times. Several. <laughs> and then he was like, this is too much work. I will die now and leave this to myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He wasn't like the Sennacherib. He was the fighter. There are two known brothers of Nebuchadnezzar. And one of them might have been a problem here, which is why Nebuchadnezzar wanted to return so quickly to, to Babylon. Oh, yeah. They are Nabushum-Lishir and Nabuser-Ubabshi. Oh. They had a hard time seizing power from Nebuchadnezzar because there is inscriptions from Nabopolassar's time where Nebuchadnezzar is recognized as the heir and the eldest son. And it's all it all talks about Nebuchadnezzar. Right. But Nabu Shum Lishir got mentioned in one document with the weird title His Equal Brother. Hmm. Could be a twin. But it seems that the, the brothers did not attempt to take power. I mean, it seems like they had it lined up and he was the eldest brother, so they wouldn't really have much, you know, standing. Or maybe they will try later. Oh, maybe. All right. You would know better than me. So Nebuchadnezzar comes back to Babylon and his first, uh, first act as king is to bury the great king, the founder of the Chaldean dynasty, though we, it is debated if they were Chaldeans or not. Mm-hmm. But Nabopolassar is buried in a huge coffin adorned with ornamented gold plates and fine dresses with golden beads. And it's placed in a small palace Nabopolassar had already constructed in Babylon. So it's a royal funeral. Amazing. To see that in the time machine. I'd love to see that. They must have been really happy in Babylon, too. Well, they lost their king, but they, they gained the, the empire. Yeah. And they have a new, they have a succession. They have another, this new prince just kicked, you know, just beat the Egyptians. Looking good. Nabopolassar gets great press from the Babylonians even later. And it's uh, an historian, Rocio Dariva, wrote in 20, uh, 2017 that Nabopolassar's exploits overthrew the Neo-Assyrian Empire and formed this new empire. So it was one man's work. I agree. 
really without Nabopolassar, this would not have happened. So many Babylonian kings had tried before him, but this guy succeeded. I mean, since we start, I started doing the podcast, there was, that was years ago. We were, you know, they were trying. And this gets out of hand later in Babylonia. So Nabopolassar is a symbol of resistance to domination by foreign empires for Babylon. Ah, I see. And later texts build the legend where Nabopolassar was divinely ordered by Marduk to avenge Babylonia and destroy the Assyrian Empire. Of course he was. I mean, they took, remember they took Marduk's bed. And long after this, oh, they did. That must be avenged. Surely Marduk was pissed about his bed getting taken. Yeah, for sure. 20 years. And even after the fall of the Babylonian Empire, people in Babylon still talk about Nabopolassar and use him as a, a symbol for resistance. We should bring that back. But there is uh, one rare negative portrayal of Nabopolassar that was found in uh, the Seleucid era. This is much later. Yeah. Where uh, Nabopolassar is identified as a king of the sea land, mm, uh, the Chaldeans. Yeah. And that it, Nabopolassar stole the wooden tablets from the temples in Uruk. But he was probably from Uruk. That is the, the main theory. Yeah. Uh, he could have them. I would, you know, he did a good job for their, his people there, for sure. And you don't hear of them like, they didn't like cut all the hands off and noses off of everybody when they, not yet anyway, that I know of, when they talk about these recent battles. So that was nice of them. We can also see in his titles that he maybe did not consider himself an Assyrian king. Because he has been suspected of being an Assyrian as well. Yeah. But he changes a lot of the titulary of the king of the empire. So he drops, for example, the title king of the four corners of the world. Okay. And he uses a much more, uh, uh, much less grand title. Hmm. What does he call himself? King of kings? Uh, I'm trying to figure it out. <laughs> oh, sorry. In one of his um, clay cylinders, he calls himself the governor of Babylon. Wow. Instead of the king of Babylon, which the Assyrians call themselves. Interesting. And it seems to be an act of reverence to Marduk, who is the true king of Babylon. Yeah. He's like, uh, like Augustus. I'm only the first citizen. But he also uses the king of Babylon in other. But here is, as far as I can tell, the official title of Nabopolassar. It's quite long and it's a bit Assyrian. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. Nabopolassar, governor of Babylon. King of Sumer and Akkad, the lofty prince who is under the guidance of Nabu and Marduk, the humble, the submissive, whose heart has learned the fear of gods and goddesses, the restorer of Esagila and Esida, the one who looks after the rights of the great gods. That was a lot more humble than the Assyrians. Yeah. He isn't even king of the universe. No, not even king of the universe. King of kings, king of the universe, none of those. Yeah, that was his shtick. The big question here is, is this a new state? Or is it just the Assyrian Empire is still going on with a new king uh, moving to another city? But the Assyrian Empire had been ruled from Babylon before. Mm -hmm. So to, to onlookers, this might look just like the old Assyrian Empire. But I think Nabopolassar considered it a new state. I think so too. I think he just ran it the same way, you know? He probably kept a lot of the infrastructure in. Like I said, I just, I, he was probably an Assyrian official, so he knew how to do those, how those things worked. And of course, why wouldn't he? Why would he change something that worked for 300 years? 
Exactly. He just doesn't have all the Asher worship and all that stuff, you know, because that's a big part of any of this in these days, you know. So now he's got his gods. I think a lot of people were into Marduk. And, you know, I think Asher was more just for the Assyrians up in the heartland, but the whole... But even they liked Marduk, you know? It's sort of a weird thing. And in the end, Marduk defeated Asher. Yeah, finally. He got his back. He got his bed back. He beat Asher. Whatever happens to Asher, he doesn't even... He's gone, I guess. Yes, he lies in the ruin of the city of Asher. Yeah. And the ruins of his temple. Yeah. But this is where we leave the Babylonians for this episode. Okay. And now Nebuchadnezzar II will... Try to consolidate this new empire, and uh, we'll see if everybody agrees with him that uh, he should rule the world. Oh, all right. Well, I'm gonna you're gonna tell me about that next time. Yes, next time. Next time, I'm a fan of history. Make sure you guys check out our Facebook page. Send me messages, and we'll tell us about our Patreon. Uh, if you like what we do, please consider supporting on uh, us on Patreon. Patreon.com. Search for Fan of History. And you can decide a sum that you think we are worthy of per episode. If we don't make any episodes, you don't pay anything. And money is charged the next month, so that might be confusing, but that's how it works. So all the episodes we make in one month, you are charged the next month. And it's a a great tool for helping us stay around. Yes, definitely. If we get lots of money, we'll we'll do it every week. I'll, I'll quit my job and then I'll work. Just end up yes. podcast. <laughs> and if we get enough money, we'll build a, a nine yeah. tripod cauldron. We will. <laughs> and uh, I don't know what we'll do with that. Don't give us that much money. I'm going to buy. No, don't give us that much. Those are, we'll just build miniature ones. Little miniature ones. Yes. Okay. Next time on Fan of History, Nebuchadnezzar II. All right, Dan. Let's do it. I'll see you next time. Cheers. Cheers. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon, patreon.com slash fanofhistory. Just a dollar an episode would help us out. Thanks, and see you next time.